You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW Sitka. It's Wednesday, February 8th. I'm Erin Fulton with Raven News. Sitka School Superintendent Frank Hauser has submitted his resignation effective at the end of June. Hauser has been superintendent in Sitka since the autumn of 2020 after many years of service in Anchorage as a music teacher and school principal. However, in each of the last two years in Sitka, he's actively pursued other jobs, first as superintendent of the Anchorage School District, and most recently as superintendent of the Fairbanks North Star School District, where he is one of four finalists for the position. In a letter emailed to district families on Monday, Hauser stated, While I am not sure what the future holds, or if I might be called to serve elsewhere, I look forward to spending more quality time with family. Hauser replaced former superintendent Mary Wegner, who held the job for six years. Between Wegner's departure and the arrival of Hauser, the school board hired former superintendent John Holst on a one-year contract. The Sitka School Board will meet in a special session at 5 p.m. Thursday, February 9th in Harrigan Centennial Hall to decide on a course of action and begin the search for a new superintendent. Speaking only for herself, Board President Blossom Teal Olson told KCAW, I support Mr. Hauser's professional endeavors. While I'm saddened at the thought of him leaving our district, I have confidence that our board and community will come together as we experience this change. Following the special meeting, the board and district administration will hold a community hearing on ways to address a $2.8 million shortfall in the budget anticipated next year. A Sitka grand jury indicted six people last month with charges ranging from drug use to felony assault. KCAW's Catherine Rose brings us the January indictment roundup. Two drug busts in Sitka led to indictments last month. According to court filings on January 13th, Sitka police officer Parker White pulled over 41-year-old Joshua Kuhn for operating a vehicle with expired tags. Officer White allegedly observed drug paraphernalia in the rear seat of the vehicle and secured a warrant to search the car and its occupants. Officers found around 10 suspected fentanyl pills on the passenger, 37-year-old Stormy Powell, and over 50 of the same pills on Kuhn, along with additional paraphernalia and a ledger with a note that said the price for a pill was $25. Both Kuhn and Powell were indicted by a Sitka grand jury on January 18th for misconduct involving a controlled substance in the second degree, a Class A felony for the intent to distribute oxycodone and or fentanyl. On January 10th, 33-year-old Jacqueline Gravely and 28-year-old Scott Vincent Thomas were arrested for allegedly using methamphetamine in the Crescent Harbor bathroom, which is within 500 feet of a school. On January 18th, both Gravely and Scott were indicted by a Sitka grand jury on two counts each for misconduct involving a controlled substance in the third degree, both Class B felonies. Two Sitkins were also indicted on felony assault charges last month. 27-year-old Andre Haas was arrested on January 15th for allegedly brandishing a firearm at a person and damaging property. Haas was arrested at the Sitka airport, where officers found a handgun in his backpack, which was later confirmed stolen. Two days later, Maxwell Marshall Schellebarger was arrested for allegedly assaulting a woman in her home on January 17th. Both Haas and Schellebarger were indicted by a Sitka grand jury on January 26th. Haas for one count of assault in the third degree and a count of theft in the second degree, both Class C felonies. Schellebarger was indicted for one count of assault in the second degree, a Class B felony, and two counts of assault in the third degree, Class C felonies. Trial dates for all defendants are pending. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Catherine Rose. 
U.S. Senator Dan Sullivan Tuesday urged the Alaska legislature to use its collective power to support the Willow Project, ConocoPhillips' big Arctic drilling proposal. Highest environmental standards and lowest greenhouse gas emissions of any major project like this in the world and broad-based support from so many Alaskans, particularly the Alaska Native leaders and Alaska Native citizens who live in the region. Sullivan, in his annual address to the Alaska legislature, asked state lawmakers to pass a resolution supporting Willow. But he says the battle over the project will be ferocious over the next month, while the Biden administration decides whether to greenlight the proposal. That's because environmental advocates fiercely oppose the project. So do the city and tribe of Nuiqsut, the nearest village. They say the project will endanger wildlife and a subsistence lifestyle while accelerating climate change. Sullivan's speech focused on the traditional Alaska complaints of a heavy-handed federal government and the hopes that the state will prosper through resource extraction and military spending. Since I've been in office, we have secured billions in military construction for Alaska, and that is continuing. Sullivan blamed the Biden administration for restraining resource development in the state, which he calls a war on Alaska. Sullivan also promised a new Coast Guard icebreaker is coming. He says it will be homeported in Juneau due to his work behind the scenes. So every now and then you can leverage things like confirmation or promotions of Coast Guard officers, and that's what I did. So we're not moving forward on any more promotions in the Coast Guard until we get this study of where you're going to put the icebreaker in our state. But money to buy the next icebreaker, a relatively small commercial ship that's already built, was cut at the last minute from the federal spending bill last year. Kelp grows naturally throughout Alaska's waterways and is also grown and harvested by an expanding commercial seaweed industry. As KSTK's Sage Smiley reports, new research shows kelp has ecological benefits by absorbing pollution in the water. Although slippery strands of kelp aren't plants, they can pull carbon and nitrogen from their surrounding environment just like a forest on land. New research from the University of Alaska Fairbanks shows some species of kelp may be especially effective at taking in nitrogen from the water. In other words, kelp may be able to help clean up polluted waterways. For some species, they are kind of like a sponge. Marine ecologist Sherry Umansor is an assistant professor at UAF and led the study. So if there is a lot, they can absorb a lot. But for some species, that, that sponge behavior is a little bit, it saturates faster. So for example, it doesn't matter if there is a lot, it can only absorb so much. Umanzor says it seems like ribbon kelp is more sensitive to nitrogen in the water, so it's a better sponge, while sugar kelp is more slow and steady. To gather data, Umanzor worked with kelp farmers who grew sugar and ribbon kelp side by side. The farmers collected tissue samples and water samples every 30 days until the kelp was harvested, and then sent all the samples to Umanzor's lab. By looking at the changes in water over time, I was able to relate this to the changes in nutrients in the tissue to get an understanding how much they vary one versus the other one. Pulling carbon from water into kelp isn't a new idea. And just this year, Governor Mike Dunleavy proposed a law to update Alaska's regulations to capitalize on carbon credit markets, where the carbon-collecting power of Alaska's underground areas, forests, and kelp could be sold to investors or organizations. But Umansor says her research indicates that the nitrogen-removing properties of kelp are the more compelling finding from the study.
The difference between having a lot of carbon and a lot of nitrogen in the water is that carbon is not a contaminant, but nitrogen is. So really a lot of nitrogen can, can produce these algal blooms or PSP, if you're familiar, so the, the blooms that cause the shellfish poisoning. So this, this is also driven by excess nutrients. So if we have a lot of kelp in the water, we potentially have better, a better quality in the, in the water column. Carbon sequestration, or the process of capturing and storing carbon from the atmosphere, and nitrogen removal happen on very different timelines. Sequestration is not something that can happen in a, from one month to another. It has to happen in, in hundreds of years. While nitrogen removal to avoid contamination is something that can happen literally in weeks or months. There are plenty of potential directions to go with the knowledge that kelp can help lower nitrogen levels in the water. Umansor says one could be a mutually beneficial relationship between kelp and salmon hatcheries. Perhaps we can, you know, leverage to some extent the nitrogen that is excreted in the salmon hatcheries and actually grow kelp in it, right? And then we will have a win-win we will produce biomass from kelp that can then be processed to produce products, and we will be cleaning the water at the same time. That's an exciting idea for people in the mariculture industry like Hannah Wilson, who's the development director of the Alaska Fisheries Development Foundation. While coastal Alaska native people have used seaweeds for centuries, commercial cultivation is a relatively new phenomenon. She says there was a 200% increase in pounds of seaweed sold for 2020 and 2021. Wilson says some of that could be pandemic-related market depression, but it's still an upward trajectory. Currently, the industry really is focused on um, food markets, and I think there's definitely interest in people growing at a larger scale, you know, maybe for things more like animal feed, you know, kind of maybe like a less high-quality product, but a larger volume, just trying to kind of diversify that industry. While there aren't very many commercial seaweed farms in Alaska right now, and the state is still working to set up regulatory frameworks and funding resources to help new farmers, the burgeoning industry is taking off. Wilson says learning more about the potential ecological benefits of kelp farming is a way the industry can potentially diversify. There's a slew of funding heading to the state to support mariculture growth. And beyond that, more than $75 million in funding for mariculture, Umanzor says her research also points to the value of kelp, whether it's on a farm or growing wild. There are benefits to having healthy kelp overall. I think that we have in Alaska a great opportunity to actually tackle some common problems using smart solutions that are environmentally friendly. From her position, often on a boat, Umanzor says she sees many opportunities for kelp to come. In Wrangell, I'm Sage Smiley. I'm Erin Fulton, and this has been Raven News. Mm-hmm.